Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When it comes to reviewing your finances, a good place to start is by reviewing your mortgage. It's something few people ever do. But if you never review your mortgage, you'll never know if there might be a better option. That's where the Ulster Bank Mortgage Team could help. Wherever you bank, be sure to talk to us and see if switching could make a difference. Just search Ulster Bank Switch. Ulster Bank. Help for what matters. Over 18s only. Ulster Bank Ireland DAC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. do this again Jess (laughs) no it was a running bit and now it's just not funny anymore I'm Jess I'm Ellen and welcome back we're on struggle street today (laughs) I would love it if we could ever freaking start an episode (laughs) with not being like hey guys here's our emotional trauma that's happened in the past two weeks I don't need to disclose my emotional trauma just know that I'm going through it but Ellen's severely hungover I'm not I'm not emotionally traumatized at all. I'm just very tired yeah. and also dehydrated. I'm emotionally traumatized, but you know, what else is what new? What else is new, what right? What else is new? What else is it new? Would it be a week in Jess K. Ryan week if we weren't crying about something, right? No, I haven't cried. Oh, no, I cried last night um, because, and I kind of told you about this on the train, but um, I'm going to disclose. So um, obviously I went through a breakup last year. And I've been on the dating scene and it's been horrific, to say the least. Um, And I wrote a letter last night titled, To the Boy I Fall in Love With Next. (laughs) You to all the the boys I loved before yourself? Yeah, I wrote a letter to get my feelings out and it worked. And I actually slept really well and I woke up this morning and I felt super stunning. Amazing. It works, guys. So put your feelings on paper. Great advice. Get them out of your head. I cried because I saw a cute cup at Starbucks that I couldn't afford. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's never not going to be funny. It was really cute, guys. Oh, it had pigs on it. I didn't see it, but I was shown a photo because we're best friends. Yes. Um, So welcome back to the podcast. Uh, Hope you loved last episode was the Sharp Family Murders. Sorry. Sorry. Deep apologies. So Deep sorry apologies. about that. If you came back to listen to the next episode after listening to that one. Um, thank do you know you. what though? Got a bit like, ooh, when I was watching The Little Mermaid the other day because like Prince Eric like gets out the spear oh, thing. Oh, no. And I was like, nope. No, none of that. You. Traumatic. None of that or any Traumatic. of the others. Traumatic. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Anyway, so it's my turn this week. Woo! 
We love a Jess episode. We love a Jess episode. A uh, Jepisode. A Jepisode. Um, and I have picked a vintage murder this week. Uh, a vintage serial killer, I should say, this week. Um, and I'm going to be telling you about Eddie Leonsky, the brownout strangler. Why have I been calling him Andre the entire time we've been um, talking about this I episode? I thought his name was Andrew for a while. Oh, okay. But it turns out he was Eddie. So I feel like I was saying Andrew and then you must have like turned into I just it made it Andre. like fancy. <laughs> Andre, the brownout strangler. Andre, the brownout strangler. Okay, let's not joke. <laughs> All right. So... For those of you that weren't aware, World War II happened. What's that, Jess? So basically, um, obviously England and Germany were at war with each other and Mm -hmm. then the Japanese were like, hey. Us too? Us too. So um, by that, by 1942, a lot of, oh, God, Zane. Zane's just laughing. That's funny. Um, so a lot of Australian soldiers were over uh, fighting in Europe and um, with Japan being like, yo, what's up? Yeah. We didn't really have a line of defence. So 15,000 cashed up American troops were based in the city of Melbourne in 1942. By 1943, um, 250,000 Americans were stationed in Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne. And they were stationed here training or whatever and then they were on their way to the South Pacific basically. Um, for young people, Americans, what? Any person listening to this episode that knows anything about World War II right now is going to be like, yeah, that's how it went down. But it is. I'm not wrong. <laughs> no, you're not wrong. Am I? I'm no. not wrong. All right. Okay. So for young people, Americans represented wealth, glamour and modernity. And in some ways, the troops matched the ideal of the Hollywood image. Like they were very like handsome and and cute. Um, Yeah, and American because of, you know, the influx of American movies and stuff like that. Um, In some, so they matched the Hollywood image. Their manners impressed, especially the lady folks, because they would call women ma'am and men sir. I get a bit like, oh, ma'am. Oh, I hate being called ma'am. Well, it's better than, oh, all right. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay. Um, so, um, and also, like, they even just looked better than Australian soldiers because, um, like, Australian uniforms were often, like, really baggy and they weren't very attractive, whereas, like, American soldiers were, like, in these super dashing, like, tailored outfits and girls were swooning left, right and centre. I believe it. I'm, I, not, I'm not casting doubt on this at all. Yeah. Super stunning. Um, they were also paid a lot better than Australian soldiers as well and they were ready to spend their money on having a good time. Um, they they had like guidebooks of how to behave and hold themselves in like the Australian environment and it said um, Australians, especially the girls, are a bit amazed at the politeness of American soldiers and they say that when an American gets on friendly footing with an Australian family, he's usually found in the kitchen teaching the missus how to make coffee or washing the dishes. Oh. I know. And also it turns out, well, it doesn't turn out, like I, I knew this for a long time, <laughs> but my auntie Barbara was a war bride. Oh, really? So my uncle Bob, who was from Georgia – in America. Thank you. Not the country. Um, he came over and he was stationed here and then Barbara met him and then, oh, no, not Barbara, um, Mary, Auntie Mary. Mary met Bob 
and then moved over to the US. You know what, Jess? That is Stunsville, Georgia. That's Stunsville, Georgia, right? Right, right, right. So official publicity and media often emphasise the friendship and cooperation between Americans and Australians, but this was not the whole story. Ooh. So despite the goodwill of most locals, tension grew between the American and the Australian troops. And I would also like to say that I know that I meant to write Australian, but I wrote S-U-A-T-R-A-L-I-A-N. Australian? Suatralian. I'm a Suatralian. Happy Suatralian Day, everyone. That's on the 28th. Um. Uh, the Yanks were taking out their girls um, because they could afford to. Um, even being able to buy alcohol in the black market, which meant that the Aussie guys were gone without. Oh, no. So Ian W. Shaw, who wrote a book on the person that I'm going to be talking to, um, he was saying that there was a honeymoon period of a couple of months where everyone loved the Americans, especially all the Australian women, as I've said before. Um, but, like, as if we didn't have enough to worry about with the Japanese, Boom. Eddie Leonski rocks up and I just hit the table and I hope my microphone's still working. Okay, stunning. Um, and Ian W. Shaw says, almost literally overnight the love affair with the Americans ended and suddenly they, they were seen as harboring what the media called a homicidal maniac, a sexual predator. So a little bit about our man this evening. Uh, Edward Joseph Leonski was born on the 12th of December, 1917 in Kenville, New, New Jersey. He was the sixth child of, of Russian-born parents, John, John, a laborer, John, a laborer. I was like, that is not his last name. His last name is Leonski. John, space, a laborer, and his wife, Amelia. Their family moved to East 77th Street, New York, when Eddie was a baby Eddie left junior high in 1933, then taking up a secretarial course. He had a few clerical jobs and he was also working in a supermarket before being called up for military service on the 17th of February, 1941, leaving behind his mother, who was extremely mentally unstable, two brothers with prison records and a third in a psychiatric hospital. Stable. Stable home. Stable family environment. Stable home time. Um, When he was stationed with the 52nd Signal Battalion in San Antonio, Texas, he began to drink to excess, beginning the love of concoctions of whiskey laced with hot peppers. And I wrote next to it, what a psycho. Whiskey and hot peppers? I would honestly rather die. No, thanks. That's mental. Um, And also, (laughs) this just makes me think of all those boys that just show off at bars. Um, he would also show off his strength by vaulting onto bar counters and walking along them on his hands. <laughs> oh, how impressive. <laughs> oh, swoon. I am oh, all hot love, under the collar. Love a man who can vault onto a bar. That really just gets me. <laughs> really just impresses me. It really me. just gets if my you just, motor If you just down a shot of whiskey with some chilies in it and then just jump up on the bar, well, <laughs> oh, you've stolen my heart. We're on. We're on like Donkey Kong. <laughs> Stunning. Um, this was when he first, so um, when he was in San Antonio, this was the first time, this was when he first attempted to strangle a woman. Um, but the American authorities had failed to recognize this before his battalion was shipped to Australia in January 1942. February 1942, uh, Leonski arrives in Melbourne and took up quarters in Camp Pell, Royal Park. So Camp Pell was mainly used as an army transit camp um, located in Royal Park in the, surf, in the suburb of Parkville, Melbourne. This, once again, he takes up off the boat. He takes up um, his excessive drinking behavior again. So a month before the murders, spoiler alert, there's some murders. 
Um, what? What? He actually choked two women, uh, in St Kilda. Um, one escaped before he could rape her and he was disturbed during the other attack and ran away. At first, the assault, um, at the first assault, he actually left behind a sing- singlet with his initials, but the woman that this happened to didn't report it. And there was some like victim, there was some victim blaming <laughs> on some of the articles where they're like, well, if she had reported it, it's like, it's 1942. If she reported she it, got she would have attempted gone- raped. He was, she was attempted to be raped. Like, she probably would have gone on. to the police station. They would have been like, well, that's what happens to young ladies who walk outside without their gloves well, on or whatever. Were you red? Yeah. No, don't. I'm not. No, no, no. Um. So his drunkenness actually got him locked up in the stockade, which I looked up and it's just basically this, it's basically like a pen. Mm. It's like a big pen. And he got locked in that for 30 days. But as soon as he was relieved, released, he went into another binge. Ugh. So 3rd of May, 1942, Mrs. Ivy McLeod was found murdered in the doorway of a shop next door to the Bleak House Hotel in Albert Park. The crime had occurred during what was called as the brownouts. So brownouts, this was an unpopular reduction of street lighting. So basically um, they would paint light fixtures. They would cover trams with shades to reduce the amount of light that was being produced. So you couldn't see the people, like the visibility from like coming up top, like you wouldn't be able to see it. So then they were less likely to, you know. So like if somebody was hypothetically like flying a plane over, yeah, they, they wouldn't, wouldn't be able to see. They wouldn't be able to see much. City. That so is not a, bleak. Not a full blackout, but a brownout. And brownouts actually still happen now, like certified brownouts where they reduce the lighting and stuff. Really? Not for attacks, but like for energy reductions. I know what I'm talking about. Um, so, so 40 year old Ivy Violet McLeod was found strangled in Victoria Avenue, Albert Park. She was partly naked and had been badly beaten by her attacker. An American soldier had been seen in the area just before her body was discovered. Uh, robbery did not appear to be the motive for the crime as her purse still contained about one pound's worth of small change. 31 year old Pauline Thompson was the next victim on the 9th of May. So that's a big, like, like that's a, you know, that's only six days. Mm. Um, she was the next victim on the 9th of May, 1942. She had told her husband, a policeman in Bendigo, that she was going to a dance at the Music Lovers Club with a number of her girlfriends and a very young American, Private Justin Jones. She had planned to meet Private Jones at the American Hospitality Club before the dance at 7 p.m. Private Jones was 30 minutes late. Pauline gave up waiting for Jones and she was later seen with a soldier at, uh, at, later seen with a soldier at the Astoria Hotel. They were seen leaving the hotel just before midnight. It was a dark, rainy, miserable night. Pauline's body was found at about 4 a.m. on the steps of the Morningside House in Spring Street. She had been badly strangled and her clothing was torn. 40-year-old Gladys Hosking was the next victim of the brownout strangler on the 18th of May, 1942. Gladys and her friend Dorothy Pettigrew left the Melbourne University that dark, wet night. They said goodbye to each other. She was apparently later seen sharing an umbrella with an American serviceman. A short time later, Private Noel Seymour, an Australian soldier, saw an American soldier covered in mud. Private Seymour was guarding some army vehicles positioned just outside of Camp Pell. The American asked Seymour how to catch a tram to Camp Pell. Seymour asked him where he'd been and the American soldier replied that he'd fallen in some mud coming through the park and indicated that he lived in an area, he lived in area one in Camp Pell in the street near the zoo. Um, a few hours later, Gladys Hosking's body was found in the slit trench near Camp Pell. And I've seen a photo of that. It's 
Ugh, gross. All three were throttled. All three were older than the killer. And although their genitals were exposed, none were sexually assaulted. Um, so after the three attack after the three murders had been reported, several other women now came forward to state that they had been attacked by an American serviceman, but had managed to escape. In one of these incidents, the attacker had entered the woman's flat. So this was a lady in St. Kilda. Um, a person outside in the hallway distracted the attacker and the woman screamed. The attacker left in a hurry, leaving behind the GI singlet with EJL on it. Oh my God. Um, in another case, the attacker had tried to force a woman into her house, was, but, but was confronted by the woman's uncle who chased the attacker away. So efficient and detective work, efficient, no, efficient and detective work. Yeah, good one, Jess. Efficient detective work and the evidence of a soldier in whom Leonski had confided to, dumb boy. That is just like someone stupidest, even stupider than drinking whiskey and hot peppers. And that's pretty fucking stupid. Uh, Led to his arrest on the 22nd of May. Sensitive to relations with its American allies, the Curtin government decided after consultation with Britain and in the face of some strenuous opposition that Leonski could be tried by a United States court-martial. Following some dispute, he was declared sane and was tried and found guilty on the 17th of July. Fair-haired and of middle height. Yeah. All right. Leonski was powerfully built. Well, he'd have to be if he vaulted onto a fucking counter. Yeah. Weird. Also, he was a soldier. That's true. Um, He gave no exclamations for his crimes other than to say one of his victims, uh, I wanted the voice, I choked her. So there's this whole thing. Um. There's the whole thing about the voice. I'll get into that in a second. Um, Leonski, who, like, he never ex- really explained his motives. Um, his second of his second victim, Thompson, she told me I had a baby face, but I was wicked underneath. Ugh. This guy's a loony bin. I'm going to post a photo of Eddie Leonski because it is this smile on his face. It's like it. Ew. No, it's thank you. It's so yucky. It's so yucky. Um, So... Held in the city watch house, he corresponded with a woman at Eltham, learned Oscar Wilde's The Ballad the Ballad of Reading Jail, and became a communicant of the Catholic Church. Leonski, um, my document has gotten all fucked up. So after the warrant of execution was ready, read to Eddie Leonski. So this is um this is an excerpt from the Murder at Dusk that you can buy by Ian W. Shaw that I read. The it's very poetic. Like for a crime book, I was yeah. like, ooh, dem some Prose. nice words, Presh. Um, after the warrant of execution was read to Eddie in his cell on the Friday evening, he is supposed to have said, I hope they get it over and done with in a hurry so I won't have to go on like this. Eddie had no way of knowing the amount of work that his army had done in the background to make certain that his death went according to, predetermined, uh, to a predetermined process. He would have found it interesting as he did most things where he was the center of attention. <laughs> Jess, that kind of sounds like you. That kind of sounds like me. That sounds like the kind of thing that I would say about you. Um, so early in that process, it became obvious that there were no U.S. Army facilities in Australia that were even remotely suitable for a formal execution by hanging. Um, so this problem was solved by the Victorian government who offered the Americans the use of the execution chamber at Pentridge Prison. Located on the outskirts of the city in Coburg, it would be ideal for the purpose, 
The facilities at Pentridge had been used for all executions in Victoria since 1924 when the gallows, beam and trap had been relocated to the old Melbourne jail. They had also been used for most of the executions carried out of the old Melbourne jail, meaning that Eddie would have been executed on the same apparatus as Ned fucking Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love that guy. <laughs> okay. I'm going to describe what Ellen just did. Um, she did the rock symbol with her hands and said, yee. As long as you didn't say yeet. I don't like yeet. Well, that doesn't really apply. Unless um, you say that like Ned Kelly was like yeeted. <laughs> <laughs> I just spat everywhere and also brushed my face across the microphone. Oh, my fucking God. Oh, my God. We're a mess. Anyway, professional okay. podcasting. Yeah, so professional, especially this episode. Oh, my God. Um, There were also issues around who would actually perform the execution and it was decided not to use the official Victorian hangman as Victoria had surrendered some of its sovereignty and probably did not want to add to its responsibilities at this late stage. Mm. Instead, a hangman was sourced from another state, probably South Australia. That hangman was guaranteed anonymity, a guarantee that has lasted over 75 years. So all that we know is the man was short, solid, and that he brought with him his own tools of the trade. What does that mean? Pull the thing, the guy goes down. I don't know. Um, among, among this was a coiled nylon rope. It was brand new and it was two centimetres thick. Ooh. So all those who spoke to Eddie after he was told of his imminent execution on the Friday night were struck by his calmness and his lack of visible emotion because he was a psycho. Mm, indeed. Back to the whiskey with the peppers. Psycho. Full on. Somebody should have just saw him do that once and be like, hey, buddy, I have a rope that I'd like you to meet. I'd like you to meet. Sorry, doll. Um, he had studied the mechanics of the execution by hanging and knew that knew over the weekend of seven to uh, he knew over the weekend uh, the seventh to eighth of November a gallows ha- a gallows had been prepared for him somewhere probably not too far away from where he was spending his last few days and hours of his life he knew that those gallows were being tested over and over again that hinges and bolts and levels were being oiled and a rope was being stretched by with the weight attached to its end. And he knew that somewhere, maybe in this very building, a man was doing the calculations which would ensure that his death was quick and clean, a snapped neck, cervical displacement, based on his weight and how far his body would have to drop for that death to occur. Eddie knew that sometimes executioners had miscalculated and death had been uh, had from slow strangulation or by a bloody de- decapitation. Uh, Eddie knew all of this and did not appear to have the slight, it did not appear to have the slightest impact on him. And my father is trying to ring me and he can stop. Goodbye. Goodbye, father. I'm busy. So as the officer stepped back, the executioner stepped forward. Even in those unusual circumstances, he presented an unusual figure, workman's clothes and a dust coat, leather gloves and a leather mask. Spooky. He worked quickly. Firstly, he placed a black cloth cap on Eddie's head and then he stooped down to pin uh, down to pin on Eddie's legs both above and below the knees. Standing up again, he pulled the black cap down, revealing it to be more of a cloth mask, uh, one that covered Eddie's head and fell down to almost his shoulders. 
Before that mask fell, Eddie nodded his head slightly towards two, Ameri- two U.S. Army doctors who stood at the wall behind the hangman. He also turned his head slightly towards Father Shanahan and gave him a faint smile. Both Fathers Shanahan and Han- Hannon were now praying aloud in Latin. The original gates of Camp Pell were... Um, no, that doesn't make any sense. Um, as the black cloth fell down over Eddie's face, the hangman turned to his side, found the rope and noose and lifted them up before placing the noose carefully and almost gently over Eddie's head. As he did, so the military policeman nearest Eddie said quietly, I'm sorry, buddy, to which Eddie replied also softly, it's okay, pal, carry on. The hangman again adjusted the noose so that it sat quite loosely around Eddie's neck with the knot sitting snugly under the angle of the jaw on the left side of Eddie's neck. Satisfied that everything was as it should be, he stepped back from the trapdoor, as did the MP as the MPs did the same. He grasped the large lever with a lock the locking handle and in one fluid moment squeezed the handle and pulled the lever. The trapdoor snapped open and Eddie's body dropped from sight in a sudden brutal cacophony. Amongst that noise was the squeal of various hinges and levers, the crash of the trapdoor and snap of the rope as it took the full force of a heavy object falling a short distance. It was the sound of a man dying suddenly and it was a sound that no one would ever forget. Ian W. Shaw. That was the most transfixing. Go and buy the book. Like that, when he describes, it's like the opening part of the book, he describes Melbourne in Brownout. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm going to read this book. Dole, 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 dole. Okay, so then what do you do with a guy that's been Mm court-martialed? Executed. Executed. He's American in Australia. So his body was first buried at Springvale Cemetery, then on Melbourne's southeastern outskirts, but was then reinterned a month later in the American servicemen's section of the same cemetery. His remains were then moved again to Manson Park Cemetery in Ipswich, Queensland. What? Right? They're like, oh, just stick that serial killer guy in Ipswich. Right. Nothing nothing good goes down there anyway. And then at the end of the war, one last time, he was moved to the post cemetery at Schofield Barracks in Honolulu. Here's my opinion. Um, you don't get a burial when you're a serial yeah, killer. Why don't you don't get to be in like the serviceman section of the cemetery when you're a serial killer. Like, no. Stick him in a pauper's grave. And I'm so sorry, but that's the that's the end. That was amazing. That was so interesting. I'm glad because I, I thought so, that was so short. I'm I learned so, sorry. so many things. I didn't know anything about brownouts, and I also have never really thought at all about how somebody would be like hung, hanged, so hanged. Um, excuse me, hanged. Go and read Ian W. Shaw's book. Also, I watched a movie that was done in 1986 with literally every Australian actor that you could possibly recognize in this but movie. But not Jeffrey Rush. But not Jeffrey Rush. Um, and what is that movie called? Oh my god. Maybe um, Second Take can review it, Zane. Because it's pretty shit. <laughs> um, Zane just said no with his face. Um, it's called It's uh, Death of a Soldier. That sounds And amazing. there was actually some union problems on that. Like they basically had barely any budget mm-hmm. and they were trying to get people to work pretty much free. work for free. And people were like, mm, I personally like to get paid for my labor. I'm not going to do that. So then they had to like double the budget. They had an American guy do it. So it was actually predominantly an Australian cast, which is really good. Uh, and the like union basically fought for only two American actors to cool. be in it. 
was an American played Eddie. American played Eddie, which cool. I think is fair. Right. Half the course. Yeah. Um, do you have any additional information about how, like, how did they, how did they go about making the decision that, like, Victoria wasn't going to have anything to do with prosecuting? Um, well, basically they wanted it to happen really quickly. And I'm, I completely forgot to, I don't know where this went in my notes, but they did, so when they were trying to look for Eddie, so obviously they had the information that um, it was an American soldier. So they went through the entirety of Camp Pell and like got- Ask every single person. Well, they um, they did like lineups and stuff yeah. like that for them to find Eddie That's Leonsky. Amazing. I don't know where that note went. It was in my notes somewhere, whether or not I missed it somewhere. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, loved it. Look, short game's sweet. a good game. I'm sorry. No, it's great. We all know it's going to be a short episode of Jess is doing it because I don't know when to shut up. No, you're very interesting and you know what you're doing. But um, thank you so much for that. Well, I'm thanking myself. Thank, thank you. Thank, thank you so much, me. You know what? Thank me. That was the quickest thank me for that. Ever. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. Um, but, yeah, if you want to read some more about it, I can definitely recommend Ian W. Shaw's book. It was excellent from what I read. I will continue to read it because, yeah. And I want, I wonder if he's done any other books because that's like Alan, Alan J. Whitaker who I who read um, who wrote the Anita Cobby mm. book that I did. He's written several other true crime books as well. Amazing, yeah. Um, so important info. If you would like to follow us on Facebook, you can at Murder in the Land of Oz. If you would like to follow us on Instagram, you definitely can at Murder in the Land of Oz. We have been getting so many nice messages on Instagram. Did you see that? And that review that we got about us being a yes, family. It was so sweet. I was sobbing. Yeah, amazing. I really hope oh, everyone's going to be so disappointed about this episode. No, it was great. Don't cry. I also have to do a shout out to um, our friend James who emailed us in December who did remember remember way, way back in the early days of Murder on the Land of Oz when we did the main family murders mm. and we were talking about Robert Cox and how much he drank at the pub and we couldn't work out. I was like, oh, I did some maths, but I don't understand maths. He bought four pounds worth of alcohol. That's a lot. Um, an absolute ledge named James like researched and found out how oh much God, a pint of beer cost in our emails, in our inbox. Oh my God. I'm going to post it. Well, I'm going to get you to post it on the Facebook so people can read it in its entirety. But oh my God, thank you, James. I didn't respond to the email for like three weeks because I'm crap, but it was so interesting and he researched it all. Turns out four pounds can buy you a fuck ton of alcohol. Stunning. In the late 1800s. Oh my god! In thank you so much, James. That's so lovely. And to everybody of you. else who has sent emails recommending cases, thank you so oh, much. I thank read you so much all about them. Um, went deep down the rabbit hole in a couple of them. Spent too many hours researching and being like, "What? Oh, this isn't for an actual episode." And just so you know, it's me, Jess, that you're interacting with on Instagram, I'm, and it's me on the emails. Yeah. So, um, I, oh god, there have been some really. Actually, I'm going to go through. Because there are just been to some, pad out for time. There are some bloody. I know. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I feel so shit now. Um, so Greta, who we've ta- chatted to on Instagram for a bit, she is an absolute sweetie pie. Um, also, oh my god. So um, there's this lovely guy Liam who sent us a voice message of how to pronounce Droida. Oh my god, is that how you pronounce it? Droida. Amazing. And was just like. Keep up the great work. You're both lovely. Thanks, Liam. Oh, my God, Liam, you cutie pie. Um, and, yeah, like, thank you so much for the interaction. It's very cool. We love it. It feeds our egos. I hope you're just as stoked with this episode, if not for our charm and wit. Yeah. 
because we're funny. Sure. Sometimes. <laughs> We've been known to make a joke. I pretend to know things about World War II. I didn't know any of that. I was amazed. You could have told me anything about World War II and I would have been like, mm, sounds like it happened because everything like happened. Past. No, I like the past. I just don't like old movies. <laughs> don't watch Death of a Soldier, then you're not going to be stoked with it. Isn't that from the 80s? That's fine. Cinema was invented in 1977 with the first Star Wars film. Anyway. Anyway, thanks for listening to Matter in the Land of Oz. <laughs> Shortest episode ever. But thank you so much for joining us. Oh, follow us on Patreon. We've got Patreon co- content. Ellen's about to do it now. We're about and to record I'm so it now. Fucking stoked! It's Lynn Dawson. <gasps> so you better, you better, you better donate some money so you can listen to that because Ellen listened to the entirety of the teacher's pet. I did, and now I have post-traumatic stress disorder. And if you want to know some feelings about the teacher's pet, then you better subscribe to the Patreon. Okay, thanks, guys. Thanks, love you. Goodbye. a mess. War, famine, politics. Why can't everyone just get along? Yeah, like in musicals. Musicals fix everything. If people listened and learned from musicals, everything would be better. Music, lights and spontaneous choreography. What isn't there to love? If you want to learn all of life's important lessons or just listen to some musical theatre nerds wax lyrical subscribe to Musicals Tell Me Everything I Know wherever you find fun and funny podcasts or at our website at thatsnotcanonproductions.com a That's Not Canon Productions podcast Get your broadband moving all around your home so you can start flexing in the living room And that sourdough can start rising in the kitchen. For streaming from the front door to the attic, connect with our best ever Wi-Fi all around your home. Sky Broadband. Your world is limitless. For more information, see sky.ie forward slash speeds. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.